So we're in um, the series called Deep Cuts. I'll explain deep cuts here in a second, but uh, I want to start with the golden rule. Does anybody remember the golden rule? And here's the deal. The golden rule is not, it's not actually biblical. We'll talk about that here in a second. So this isn't like Sunday school hour. Does anybody just, you know, remember? Is that, so it, yeah, what's the golden rule? Yeah, I heard three different versions right there. You know, you've got do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat others as they would have. Go ahead and put that up, Trevor. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's how I wrote it. That's the golden rule, right? And it sounds biblical, doesn't it? It sounds like it might be something from the Bible. And, and in some senses, there's maybe parts of the Bible that kind of hint at it, like, um, yeah. Um, Oh, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You're just laughing at me as I forget things. Uh, an eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, you know, like the, the, the kind of do unto others as you would do unto, you'd have them do unto you. And, and in general, I'm not here to knock the golden rule per se. I think it is kind of a good rule to like, as you're thinking about like, man, you know, like I should probably clean up the kitchen at work. You, you're like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that because I would like to do unto others as they would do unto me. I don't want them leaving their stuff out. Like, that's a good rule to kind of, you know, live parts of our lives by. The problem is, the, the, the golden rule is great until you are mistreated by others. Right? Because the golden rule then very quickly devolves into this. You want to hit the next slide? Do unto others as they have done unto you right? So they didn't clean the kitchen. So why am I going to do that? You know what I mean? And, and, and in a sense, you feel, it almost feels natural or it feels right to do the wrong thing. And this is why I wouldn't say it's all that biblical. <laughs> it's because the, the, this, this wouldn't fly in, with a, in the biblical worldview. Like, like we, we can't just, we can't get to the point where we do unto others as they have done unto us. Because then all of a sudden, and it, it literally, the golden rule works. It's like one of those little fine-tuned machines. And then like a speck of dust gets into the little cog, and then it's like, and everything breaks down. Because if we devolve to this, all it takes for the golden rule to break down in a you know, societal, and this is like, I think if you ask people in society, like, what's, what's a good rule to live by? Like, what's, you know, like you're going to get a lot of this, Right? You know, we should just, as a society, it just society would be better if we did this, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But it, it, it quickly breaks down because it start, if you live by that rule and you've spent a lot of your time doing good by others because that's how you want it done to you, but then they, it's not returned, then all of a sudden it devolves to this, do unto others as they have done unto you. And you'll get, you, you can get a lot of friends behind you saying, dude, don't, don't, don't call her back. Don't, you know, don't, don't go out of your way to help him. I mean, think of all that he's done. You're like, yeah, you're right. And it seems right. It feels natural to go this direction. But the problem is, and the problem with the golden rule is, is until it, it works until you're mistreated. And then the whole system breaks down. Again, it's like a little, the cog, the machine, it just, it gets one little thing. And it, it breaks down because all of a sudden, you know, you, you got hurt, you got mistreated. So you, you mistreat. And then they feel mistreated, so they mistreat you or somebody else. And then that breaks up a whole other thing over here, and that cog breaks, and then the whole thing breaks down. Today's sermon is called The Abigail Way. 
and it's a better way. We're in this series called Deep Cuts, and we're looking at specifically uh, stories from the Old Testament that are not part of the Greatest Hits album. They're not the Davids, the Moses, the Abrahams. They're the Jethros, the Abigails, and then uh, the Hagars. That's the last three weeks. We're going deeper into, we're looking at some of these big, grander stories, these, these, these really big, you know, like, like we're going to look at David today. Our, our deep cut fi- finds our, its, its way in the story of David. And David is, again, one of those, you know, we talked about Moses a couple weeks ago, or yet last week, Moses got the whole book of Exodus, and then he's mentioned all throughout the Bible after that, right? So he's, he's a greatest hit. Uh, David is kind of similar. He's got one, two, actually, he's got maybe got, what, like four books, four narrative books that have him in it. Um, I should have looked that up before I started talking about that. But like Psalms, that's all him, or you know, like 80% him, maybe probably compiled by him, or at least in part. Like he's a big character, but that's not, we're not, we're going to have to, and we're going to look a little bit of David today so we understand our deep cut. But the deep cuts, like uh, uh, the deep cuts in music, are the, uh, the songs on the album that maybe not many people know of, unless you're a, good, a big fan, unless you're a true fan of the band. You'll know the deep cuts. You'll know album number 13, your track number 13. Everybody listens to one and two. Or, Twitch, where do the, the hits find themselves on, on albums anymore? The first song of the album is usually a hit? Usually. And then? Like later, yeah. Yeah, pre, pre-release, before the band got famous. You know, that's the kind of stuff like the early Beatles versus, you know, the late Beatles or whatever like that. Those are the deep cuts. And, and here's the thing. The reason why I want us to know the deep cuts, the reason why I want you as students, as you know, kids and my kids to know the deep cuts is when you know, when you have these stories in your heart, when you run into things in life, they just, all of a sudden it's like, oh, but Abigail, what would Abigail have done? You know, what's the Jethro way? You know, what would Hagar have done? Like, like we think back into, you know, Job. Job's kind of like on the edge. I guess he'd probably be greatest hits. But you know what I'm saying? Like you get these, we need to get these, we need to have these stories in our hearts for when hard times come, because then they come out and they, they have a way. And all of a sudden, when the, when the stuff's in, the, in our hearts, this book, as many of us know, becomes really helpful. Because it's not just a book. It's stories that are deep. They're deep cuts that have meaning to us in our hearts. That's what this series is all about. And today, it, it, today I want to talk about the idea of getting even. You know, an eye for an eye. I want to talk about the golden rule and our, you know, when we've been mistreated, our tendency to mistreat other people. And in a sense, what we're going to look at is, is getting even is easy. That's the easy way. When somebody has wronged you, the easy way is to try to get even. But we're going to look at a better way. And we're going to look at it the Abigail way. This is in 1 Samuel 24. Mike, can you go uh, and grab the Bibles by the coffee there and hand them out? You're going to need your Bibles this morning. We are going to cover a lot of Scripture. And um, yeah, uh, 
when you guys get the Bible, somebody yell out what page number. Um, 1 Samuel 24 is what, what page that's on. So, like I said, we need to, in order to understand Abigail, we need to understand this, the context of the story, the, the greater story that she's in, and that's in the story of David. First Samuel is, is primarily, it starts with Samuel, but it's primarily about, about David and, and who David is. Um, Samuel's the, the prophet that anoints David as king. Um, and here's the thing. When we think of David, a lot of times you think of King David. But the, the thing is, as, a, as, as David goes as, as, a, as a greatest hits member of the Bible, there's lots of different chapters to David. There's David the shepherd boy, if you remember. There's David the hero, right? When he kills Goliath and kind of comes onto the scene like, who is this kid? And all of a sudden he's the hero. Uh, Samuel, before he had anointed, anointed David as king, anointed Saul as king. Remember Saul? And Saul started out as a good king, and then he just kind of turned evil. Like he just, the, the, the power got to his head, and he went bad. And all of a sudden, this little kid kills uh, this giant Goliath, and he gets all of this attention. People love David, and Saul can't stand that, so he keeps David close, Right? And he you know, keeps David close because he almost wants to treat David like a good luck charm. Remember that? Like, hey, if I keep him close, maybe people like me more and it backfires on him. They just, they just love David. They don't really love Saul. And Saul gets mad at him and tries to kill him. So then there's David the fugitive where he's running away. And then finally the Lord sees David and raises him up and Saul dies and, and David becomes king. And then there's David as king. But that's not the final chapter of his life either, remember? You got David as the adulterer, David the murderer, which is another story in and of itself. So there's all these chapters, right? And the point I'm trying to see is where we're picking up today is David's not the shepherd anymore. He's, he's already the hero. He's already killed Goliath. But right now he's David the fugitive. He's on the run, okay? This is where we are in the story in chapter 24. Now, we're not reading 24. What I want us to see in chapter 24 is the se- that you have to understand 24 before you can understand 25, which is what we're going to read today. Because in, tw- in chapter 24, David is on the run. Saul's hot on his trail. He find- Saul is looking in this area. It's this area in Israel where there's just a ton of caves. It's kind of this wilderness. He's in the middle of nowhere. And, the, and, and Saul's going from cave to cave. It's a, it's a perfect place for an outlaw to go, you know, hide. And so Saul has an army. He's, he's planning on killing David. And this crazy story, I wish we had time for this story. I love preaching this story because Saul is, you know, doing this, this um, you know, like, like basically looking, you know, going door to door in these caves looking for, for David. He comes to David's cave, which David probably had intel, had guys kind of watching and like, they're getting closer. They're getting closer. Okay, they're right outside. And all of a sudden they're like expecting it for a fight. And one man walks in to the cave. And guess who it is? King Saul. And he's got to do his duty. He's got to go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I was thinking, trying to think of a delicate way to say this. He, and, and here he is, and it's like all of David's men in the cave are like, oh my God. I'm like seriously, oh, God, oh my God. God has delivered Saul into your hands, David. This is perfect. Go kill him. We can go home. We can be with our wives, our families. This will be great. And David, like literally, it's such a good, if you go back and read this story. It's such a good story. I picture him like, you know, pirate style, knife in the mouth, crawling up on Saul, knife ready to kill the man who's tried to kill him several times at this point, who's there to kill him, right? He can stab him in the back, come out and be like, I'm the king. Let's go home. Where's my palace? And all of a sudden, instead, he cuts a, a corner of Saul's robe off and then crawls back. And then in classic David humble fashion, this is the type of man, man of God that David is, regrets it. He, he literally gets like heart, um, what's the word? Like, like he gets convicted in his heart that he had wronged the one that God had chosen to be king at the moment. And he goes out and he apologizes. He, he like says, hey, I could have killed you I'm sorry for, for disrespecting your robe, but you need to see this. I could have killed you. I didn't. What have I done against you, Saul? I mean, it's just this amazing story. And Saul's like, cuts to the heart. He's like, hey, I'm sorry. I'll go home. I'm sorry for now. Because um, <laughs> later on, you know, it's, it's a mess. But that, that ends that era of the chase. And David and his men are safe, but they're still in the cave. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that I want us to see from chapter 24. Go ahead and put that on the next slide. David did the right thing, and it changed nothing. Now, we know the rest of the story. We know that that's an important part of David's character development, that God used that to da-da-da-da. We know maybe like, that this is good. Like, like we're looking at with him thousands of years later with admonition, like, nice job. But at the moment, David did the right thing, and it changed nothing. And this is really important to know as we're on the brink of chapter 25. Sometimes we do the right thing and nothing changes. Kids, look at me. Sometimes you're going to do the right thing. This is, the hard, this is one of the hardest things to learn in life. You're going to do the right thing, it'll change nothing. At least then. And maybe for a while, you'll do the right thing. I remember in middle school, I was in seventh grade, I had these, this horrible group of friends. And I got in all sorts of trouble with them. At the end of the year, it became very apparent I needed a new group of friends. So I just kind of fired them all. Going into the summer, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to hang out. There's new me, nobody to hang out with me all summer. Which was true for like a month or two. If the story gets better, I'll tell that story another time. But there was, there, at first, I did the right thing and it changed nothing. And when that happens, it is very, very disheartening, isn't it? It's very, very disheartening. I forgot to bring, I was going to bring two glasses up here, big two tall um, glass glasses, one full of water, and this would have been a David's resolve, David's determination to do the right thing. And then the other glass of water was going to be like that situation with Saul, and I was going to pour all, this would have been such a great illustration, pour all of it, in, like 90% of his resolve into that Saul cup, and that's the chapter 24 cup. David had a lot of that. Like, think of the guts and the determination it took to, date, to do that. I mean, I don't know about you, but I read stuff like that. I'm like, man, I don't know if that, that, that would not have been my story. That is not what I would have done. But that's what David did. 
But anytime, anytime you do the right thing and it changes nothing, this is so important to, to recognize because this is what this deep cut's about this morning. Doing this over and over and over again, it wears on us. It wears us down. It wears down our determination. We only have so much resolve, right? And what we're going to find is in David's story, he poured out a lot of determination, a lot of character, a lot of resolve. I mean, he knew his fight and his primary struggle in life was, was with this man, Saul. And he knew that he needed to, like, man, my attitude's not good. My attitude's not good. Have you ever had that with somebody that you're like, I know my attitude should be better, but it's just not good with this person? And you work hard at it, and maybe you're successful. And then all of a sudden, this person comes, and you didn't even think, you didn't even know about them. You didn't even think about them, and they disrespect you. Or they, they make life hard for you. And then all of a sudden, you find, you, you, you find yourself reaching back for determination and resolve, and it's not there. Because your resolve has run out. This is exactly where we find David today in chapter 25. He has just done one of the coolest character things he will ever do in chapter 24. But he's tired. And some of us are tired. Some of us have been doing the right thing. Some of us are called to do the right thing right now. And because of doing the right thing, we're tired because we do the right thing and it hasn't changed anything. And so it hasn't filled us back up. That's where David is this morning. And what's interesting about today's deep cut is David, who's normally the hero, is not the hero today. In fact, he is very quickly, you're gonna find out here, he's about to become the villain. But somebody, the good news is, is a hero steps in. 1 Samuel 25. What page is that on? 135. Now Samuel died and all of Israel assembled and mourned for him and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. So he's also, here's another layer to the story. Samuel's a, a dear friend, a deep friend. This is, this is the man who, this is the man who, see, who saw something in David when nobody else had. When he was like, literally like, like most people, like even, even David's dad's like, yeah, I have these sons. And they're like, are you sure these are all the sons? No, I got one more, but do you, he's like 12 and he's attending sheep. He's kind of small too. Like, and, and Samuel's like, no, I need to see him. And he saw something in David, no one else did. He just lost Samuel. Okay, so there's another layer. Verse two, a certain man of Maon who had pro property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. In fact, it catalogs his wealth. He had 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep. I don't have any sheep, so this guy's really wealthy. Which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal. I'm going to call him, I'm going to switch back between Nabal and Nabal. I'm sorry, it just, I can't get it straight. I'm not sure which one it is. Um, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but... Her husband was, husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a, Calib a Calebite, which I don't, I don't know what that means, but that meant something to them at the time. Sure, he was surly and mean. I love this word, surly. Surly means, I looked it up, uh, bad-tempered, unfriendly, threatening, or menacing, which is kind of a good Halloween word. You know, like, like Tyler, you, like, you should be, when you go trick-or-treating tonight, you should be like, dude, that 
that costume looks surly, man. You're like, thanks. You know, because he'll know what it means for sure. Uh, but that's surly. It means unfriendly, threatening, menacing. This is not a good guy. He's a surly dude, okay? Verse 4, while David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, hey, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. This is what I want you to say to him. Listen, so, so pause for a second. David is this outlaw. He's got probably 600 dudes with him. He's got like this small army with him in this area. They're hiding out. Everybody probably in the area knows, maybe kind of knows, you'll find out here in a second that, that Nabal probably knows who David is. But David's not, like, and maybe, that, maybe people know that he's been anointed, that Samuel anointed him king, but that was years ago, and, like, I don't know what's happening. Like, it's, it's kind of like king and queen drama, you know, who cares? Like, let's just go about our daily lives. And so David is this guy who's kind of known in the area, and Nabal's this wealthy dude in the area, so they know of each other. And, and so David is this, he's this army, and he's like, hey, I want you to go talk to Nabal. And the way we do this is really important. Because if we come across threatening, it's not going to go well. We're, he, everybody knows we're outlaws. We're a small army. So what he's like, I want, he wants to, he's like, this is what I want you to say to him. Long life to you, verse 6. Good health to you and your household. And good health to all that is yours. It, hey, in other words, hey, I want good for you. Good on you. Blessings on your household, on this household. Now I hear, verse 7, that it is sheep shearing time. When, when your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. Now here's another context thing. Sheep shearing time is like payday. When you have how many sheep? 3,000. This is why you keep sheep. Yeah, some of it's for food. Most of it's for wool. So this is, this is you've been working, this is like harvest time. You know, except it's not, it's not wheat or grain or corn or whatever. It's, it's wool. It's kind of like uh, settlers of Catan. Yeah, you know how you can trade wool for brick and like, you know, wheat? You guys haven't played that game. But like, like he's got a bunch of she- uh, sheep cards. Nabal does. Now I hear that it's sheep shearing time. Oh, I just, I heard that, David's men would say. When you're, sh- hey, just so you know... And then I want you, you know, David's like, I want you to just remind him when your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were in Carmel, nothing of theirs went missing. I just want to, you know, remember that, okay? Ask your own servants and they will tell you. This isn't a lie, this isn't something I'm making up. Therefore, you know, because of that, would you be favorable to my men since we came in at a festive time? Everybody's in high spirits. They're all about to get paid a bunch, you know? Be favorable since we came at festive time. Please give your servant and, uh, and your son, David, whatever you can find for us, for them. Would you do that, Nabal? When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. Let's see what Nabal has to say. Verse 10, Nabal answered David's servants. And this is just dripping with irony, what he's about to say. Who is this, David? Who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days, meaning, I know that you're on the run. I know you're a fugitive from Saul. 
You know, maybe you're a bad slave maybe, or a bad servant. Maybe you deserve this, David. It's fighting words. When, you know, when you're David, you're like, no, dude, I, I've been doing what's right. This guy's trying to kill me. Many servants have been breaking away from their masters these days. I read about it in the news all the time. Why, why should I take my bread and my water and my meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? He's a surly man, menacing. David's men turn around and went back. Verse 12, when they arrived, they reported every word. <laughs> David said to his men, each of you strap on your swords. Let's go. I've had enough. This is David in chapter 24, who, who, who had a chance to kill the guy who was trying to kill him, and he didn't. And then one surly old man says, who is this guy? And he's like, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense, and yet it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? On, on, on the face, it doesn't make any sense that he would have, like, dude, just, just let this one slide. The guy's a punk. Just go find food somewhere else, right? No way. I just lost Samuel. I poured out all of my resolve and my determination on Saul. I had none left. Put your swords on. Isn't that interesting? Isn't this like us? Okay, maybe we don't like go wipe out villages when we get mad, but maybe you come, you have a hard day at work and you've been holding it in all day, holding it all day, holding it, you know, and then all of a sudden you come home and you're like, ah, on the kids. What is that? It's this. It's, it's, it's our resolve. Only, we only have so much resolve and it can get worn out. And when it does, and here's, here's the thing, parents, this is so good to know. I just, someone just told me this recently, and I've been waiting for a chance to share this with you all because it was so insightful to me. We can pick up the kids. I can tell you this, they're not here, and, uh, they, and, and I know you won't think less of them because of this because this is just how kids are. There's like two, one, two times a week where literally I pick up the kids. I'm excited to see them. You know, like I'm in the pickup line. They get into the car. I'm like, hey, how's it going? How's the school? Why are you so late? Why are you like the last car? I'm always the last car in the line. You're like, and, and, and on most days, they don't care. They're like, yeah, it's dad. He's going to be the last car in line. But once a week, it's like, I thought you, what, where are the snacks? <laughs> the kids will just, they'll, they'll be like, like downright like rude to me. Surly is the right word. And I'm their dad. I love them. And I'm excited to see them. It's like, good to see you too. You know, like, and, and it's just like, but there's a part of me that's natural. The golden rule side of me is like, I didn't treat you this way. I'm here. You know how much I have to pick you up and drive you? No, 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 no. I could just pull that card all day long. Somebody gave me really good insight into that. Or Christy read it somewhere or something like that. Do you know why the, our kids do that? They hammer us as soon as they get in the car. And this is it's because they know you're safe. It's because if they do that to you, it's because they know this is a place where they're loved. And they've probably been holding that in all day. It's been a rough day for them. And the people around them, if they show that kind of emotion, maybe it's not safe to show that emotion to those people. Maybe, maybe it will go worse for them if they do, Right? And they come to you and they know they're loved by you and they let it out on you. Why? Because we only have so much resolve. 
we only have so much determination to do what's right, and it runs out sometimes. David has run out. Strap on your swords. So they did. <laughs> I love that. So they did. Oh, game time. Let's go. David's fired up. Let's do this. This is, keep in mind, this is David. This is a really interesting point here too. This is David's mighty men. This is David's, these are like, like you read about these men. These are men of God. They're, they're men of character. They're men that supported him even when he, you know, like cut the, the even though they're not going home after he cut the, the, the Saul's thing instead of killing Saul. They're like, you know what, dude, this is why I follow this guy. These are men of character, and they're, they're like, okay, game on. Because, th- because this is what you do. This is what you do. This is like, in this world, in the, in the golden rule, do unto others as you've done it. And, and it's just natural to be like, I'm going to do to others what they've done to me. I've paid him good. We'll find out a little bit more. I've been, he's, they've actually been protecting Nabal's um, uh, flocks. David has paid him good. Now Nabal's paying evil for good. And he's, gonna, he's not going to have it. He wants to pay evil for evil. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, remember Abigail? Here's our, here's our person. Nabal's wife. David sent messengers from the wilderness to give, hey, I just, hey, uh, Abigail, um, just so you know, just, you know, I want to give you a little bit of what's going on here in, in, in the ranch. David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings. He, heard, he may have hurled some insults at him. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. See, here's a little more of the backstory. They did not mistreat us the whole time we were out in the fields near them and nothing was missing. Like we, we had this, this season of, of things like not going missing. Night and day, look at this, verse 16. Night and day, there were a wall around us the whole time we were herding sheep near them. Now think it over, you know, just my one thing is see what you can do because <laughs> disaster is hanging over us. <laughs> I love how he says it. Disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. And, and she's like, well, you know, that's you. Oh, I hadn't really thought of that. He's being very like polemic, very political. Um, he is such a wicked man. And, and you know, no one can talk to him. I mean, he just, he just everybody knows this. Then it says this, verse 18, Abigail acted quickly. She's like, I know what to do. And you're going to see her character come out. And this is so cool. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sillas of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, you know, just a bunch of raisins pressed together probably. A hundred of those, 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. It's basically like, go get all the gorp. <laughs> and let's just get a, get a bunch of trail mix for them. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I will follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. <laughs> Smart woman. I, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to save the ranch. Verse 20. As she came riding into the, the mount, uh, a mountain ravine, there were, there were David and his men descending towards her, and she met them. David had just said, it has been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me, here it is, he's paid me what? Evil 
for good. I did good by him and he's paying me back, repaying me with evil. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave one male of those who belong to him alive. Woo, he's fired up. Like, like, he had just like, crested the hill. or like, all right, boys, we're getting close. We're gonna do this fully. May God be with me so severely if, if, if we don't just level this to the ground. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. This is so interesting. Pause for a second. Again, you ha- we have to remember what chapter of David we're in. She bowed to the ground, subservient to him. She is not his servant. Like we always think, you know, when we think of David, we think of King David. He's not the king. He's, he's David the shepherd. He's been a shepherd. He's been a hero. He had this little, you know, like front news in the Israel Times for a couple weeks. David and Goliath thing. And then he was probably back on page six, seven, you know, with Saul's personal life on <laughs> those pages of the newspaper for a little bit. And now he's just this mention, he's this fugitive. He's not the king. He's not, she is not his servant, but she treats him. She's subservient to him. Smart. This is really smart, but she, it, it has to be pointed out. And then she says this, with her face to the ground, she fell down at his feet and said, pardon your servant again, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. And what she's about to do is so good. This is, and this is really the crux of where we're getting uh, today of, of what, how I want us to be like Abigail and my challenge to you to be like Abigail. Let's put this on, put this next one up quick, actually. Um, the one with Nabal, David, and Abigail. Yes, no, maybe so. Thank you. Nabal did evil for good. He's kind of maniacal, right? David is about to go repay evil for evil. You did evil by me. Here comes a little evil your way. Golden rule gone bad, right? Which is predictable. This is what a lot of us would do. You smack me, I'm going to smack you, right? Enter Abigail. She is going to ask David. She's going to plead with David to do good, even though Nabal had done evil to repay evil with good. That is a really hard ask, which is simply remarkable. She's going to ask David to do something remarkable. And, and, and honestly, she herself is remarkable. If you watch just how well she plays this, she's so smart. And, and the other thing that she's about to do, and this is, so, this is so cool, you'll see it in the words, she is about to give him credit for being a better man than he actually is in that moment. She is going to, she, she is going to treat him as a better man than he already is. He's about to do something really, truly evil, like wipe out people. There's a lot of innocent people that will get hurt from this. And she is going to treat him as, if she, as a better man. She's going to speak to him as a better man. Look at verse 25. Pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name, 
means. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. You know, why did you name your kid a fool? I don't know. That's, uh, As for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord had sent. Had I seen them, you know, I would have done something different. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, and this is so funny. It, she, and now, my Lord, as, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since my Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands. Keep in mind, what did he just say? I'm about to go lay some bloodshed down. I'm about to go, you know, oh, I'm so glad that since the Lord has already kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who intend on harming you be like, but be like Nabal. Do you remember that scene in Star Wars when Obi-Wan Kenobi's like, let these men can pass? They're like, these men can pass. She's doing a Jedi mind trick right now. (laughs) You know, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed, hey guys, we're not going to do any bloodshed today. And from avenging yourself. Hey guys, you know that whole avenge thing? We're not gonna avenge. You know, she's, just, she's, just, she's trying to speak to the man of God that she knows David wants to be and was just a chapter ago and calling him up to it. And let this gift, verse 27, which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. And then she, she keeps going, please forgive, verse 28, your servant's presumptions. I know I'm being presumptuous, presumptive right now. Like I know I'm, I'm kind of, I'm in your way. I know, I know I'm, I'm speaking. The Lord, your God, can, but can I just say the Lord, your God, will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles. David, David, remember you fight the Lord's battles. Is this the Lord's battle? No, this isn't the Lord's battle. (laughs) And no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life. David, I know your backstory. I know what just happened in in chapter 24. And the life and the life, my Lord, will be bound securely. Uh, even though someone is pursuing to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. By the lives of your en- but the lives of your enemies, they will be hurled as from, what does she say? A pocket of the sling. Remember, David? Remember, David, in the past when you trusted the Lord to do hard things and you faced Goliath? Here's another Goliath, David. You can do it. I know you. I know your story. I know the story you want to tell, and I plead with you to tell that story and not one of bloodshed. Isn't that good? You guys got to read your Bibles more. This is the, the, the deep cuts right here. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he's promised, this is verse 30, concerning him, and has appointed him ruler over Israel. When, and then she starts speaking about the future. This is so important. When we're worn down, when we're like out of, out of resolve, we have to remind ourselves of who it, what, and what we want to be in the future. Not now, like not, and not focus on what I'm feeling now, but what do I want to, what's, what do I want to be? What's the story I want to tell in the future? When the Lord, verse 30, has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he has promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord, will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself, because vengeance belongs to the Lord. 
and the Lord your God has brought my Lord success. Remember your servant. Mic drop. She nailed it. She nailed it. David said to Abigail, verse 32, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed. You are right. And for avenging myself with my own hands, I don't do that. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if, I had, if you had not come quickly to meet me, I tell you the truth, not one male would be left from Nabal. Be left to live alive at, the, at daybreak. Verse 35, then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your requests. You know what I wish for us? I wish for every single one of us and Abigail in our lives in those moments when we just want to do the wrong thing, when we just want to repay evil for evil. I wish for each of us to have somebody in our lives that sees us for who we want to be, you know, who gives us credit for who we are before we are that. Going back to parenting and, and, and kids, uh, we do wildlife here on, on Wednesday nights with middle school students, and it's one of my favorite things. And if you talk to, like, middle school, wildlife leaders are their own breed of cat, for sure. You know, like, every time I tell someone, yeah, I work with middle school, they're like, oh, you know, that, uh, bless you, you know, that's crazy, whatever. And I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't get it. I love, I, I love middle school. Like, I love that age. But one thing that's true about that age is you have, like, the, the, what makes a good middle school student and what, what these wildlife leaders are good at is seeing the potential of who they, the kids are before they see it in themselves. I remember when I was in seventh grade, again, hanging out with that crew that was no good. I got dared to egg the school. At broad, in broad daylight, at lunchtime, it, the dumbest thing, I, I know, stupid, why would you egg the school during, it, it, but I did. I had a hard boiled egg, my mom packed in my lunch, and, um, and they're like, I dare you to throw it at the school. I was like, okay. So I go outside and egg the school, and it, I mean, no longer had the egg like smack the brick wall when all of a sudden a very deep voice, hey, like from like 50 yards that way. Just didn't happen to look around me before I started throwing eggs at the school. Hey, you, come on here. And all my friends are like, ha, ha, ha. You know, all the friends that dared me, they're like, wah, you know, then they run off. And it was Mr. Wettenkamp. And I'll, I'll never forget his name because I, it was really interesting. I egged the school. He watched me egg the school. And he's the janitor. He's the one that, like, like you know, that whole TikTok thing that, that's happening with with kids like destroying bathrooms right now, that's Mr. Wettenkamp would have had to clean that up. And here's a kid throwing an egg at a school, right? And I would have, I would, what would you have done? I would have laid the hammer down. I would have, you know, principal's office, you know, let's get this kid suspended, blah, 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 blah. Hey, you, stop, come here. You know, he was, he was stern at first. Makes me clean it up with my bare hands. I got all this egg all over me, you know. And then he kindly ushers me inside. 
and lets me wash my hands in their little janitor's sink in the janitor's closet. And I don't forget what he said, but I just remember the mood as I was leaving the room was kind of like, I think he told me like a, a joke and patted me on the back and said, hey, don't do that again. He saw in me the potential of what I could become, not what I was doing that day. And here I am, what, 30 years later, telling that story. Like, it stands out to me as, as such a great example of grace. We need to be that for each other. We need to be that for our kids. Parents, it's hard. We need to, we need to see in those moments. When we're, all we see is just this, this folly, we need to see. No, and we need to, not only do we need to see, we need to speak to it in those moments. Do the Jedi mind trick and be like, you know, yeah, that was a rough one. But, you know, I, I know you had a rough day, and I know, I know like, I, I need, and I need to punish you for this. It's, it's, not, not, it's not letting everything slide. Please don't hear me say that, right? But it's, it's, it's at the end of the day saying, you know what, son? You know what I see in you? I see a warrior. I see something mighty. I see, some, I see someone who wants to do what's right, and I think that you can be a young, it's fun to watch you become a young man and step into that. Just watch him rise up. That's what we need to do. We need to pull an Abigail and, and repay good for evil. And it will bring out the good in others and not the evil. See, what Abigail did is actually kind of ahead of her times. In some senses, you could argue that the Old Testament way is more of that eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, repay evil for evil. But it's it, honestly, like, like it, it, we, we, have to, we have to separate the difference between government systems and systems that are meant to protect us. Like, like if, if someone does something bad to us, the law should repay that person. There should be retribution. There should be repayment, right? But on a personal level, Jesus called us to something. If you're a Christian, Jesus called us to something much higher. He said, you know, you've heard it said. You know, an eye for an eye. I, I tell you, you, um, what does he say? I tell you. Love your enemy and repay evil with good. He changed the system and, and, and that, because it breaks the system. And, and uh, it meant, like, honestly, his followers took to it so much. First Peter, Peter said this in First Peter. He said this, do not repay evil. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And here, here's the point. This is why we should do this. When we, repay, when we repay evil with a blessing, it's hard to explain, but it leads to a blessed life eventually. Maybe not initially. It feels like I'm letting this person off. It feels wrong. I'm, I feel like I'm getting stepped on, but I, Mr. Wettenkamp probably felt like, yeah, I don't know if he went home, he's like, I saw a kid throw, I, honey, I saw a kid throw an egg at the school today, and I just let him off. And I, you know, maybe he had like, maybe he felt like he should have done something different the night, but he didn't, and it means something now, because it'll, it, 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 blessings inherit other blessings. It leads to other blessings. And this is so powerful, and Peter's able to say this, because not just because Jesus taught that, because he saw Jesus die on a cross. He watched Jesus repay good for evil. And he watched the world inherit a blessing because of that. And the same is true for us. If we are willing 
to repay evil or blessing, blessing for evil. We will inherit a blessing and the world, our, our, our family structures will become a better place. They'll become more positive. Our kids will step into who God created them to be potentially. And we will inherit a blessing if we pull an Abigail. Here's the deal. A couple questions and we're done. What kind of story do you want to tell? I think what helps when our resolve is low, it's, it's, it's important to think like Abigail did. Hey, David, I know you're mad right now, but think about when you are in your palace after the Lord has brought what he's promised to you. What story do you want to tell? You don't want a story of bloodshed and revenge, right? It's important for us to think about in times when we're low. What's the story you want to tell? Students, what's the story you want to tell with your life someday? Is when, after you're done with high school, after you're done with middle school, and, and all of this is behind you, what kind of story do you want to tell? What kind of friend do you want to be known for? And, you want, and, and, and here's the thing. We have a chance. You know, we could be, it could be a maniacal story, which I'm not as worried about that one. It's more the predictable. I'm more worried about our stories becoming predictable. Hey, he hit me, so I hit him back. Or we can tell stories that are remarkable. And then last question, and I'll close in prayer. What would it look like right now for me to return good for evil? Where right now do you have a chance to return good for evil? Someone has wronged you. Someone's doing wrong by you. What does it look like for you to return good?